joined by Mac Hereford. Thank you very much for stopping by, man. I appreciate it. Happy to come out here. The setup is sick. Uh, excited to get this pod going and, you know, see what we talk about. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate it, man. The last time we saw each other, we were on the golf course. It was an interesting little day. Whew, that was uh, one of the worst. Like, I played horrible that day. It was a great day, a lot of fun, but that was not the best uh, performance for me. Um, yeah, I was in a lot rougher condition and shape last time you saw me. Yeah, we didn't really have much time to talk on the course as much as I thought we would, but uh, explain a little bit more about what was going on that day because you, you said you only got a couple <laughs> hours of sleep and you had a little bit of a rough night the night before. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm trying to com- remember completely, but um, I think I like I was just trying to get some good sleep because I knew we had the golf round the next day. I wanted to be prepared uh, and wanted my swing to look somewhat decent. So I, I decided that I'll get good sleep, but something I ate like a pizza or something. Yeah, it was a pizza. I had a pizza that night prior and it just tore my stomach up. I mean, I was like, I was up and, you know, on and off the toilet the whole night. Don't want to get into too many details. Um, and then the next day it felt like I was just wiped out because my stomach was destroyed. I didn't get a lot of sleep. Um, and then showed up at the golf course, you know, lack of sleep, stomach hurting and everything. Hadn't eaten much after that. And, uh, had a coffee and you know just let it rip on the course yeah you held it together pretty good man um speaking of that though so you and i we played golf that's how we met the first time but most people know you from playing football Mm -hmm. so i'm just curious from an athlete's perspective which would you rather play for the rest (laughs) of your life football or would you rather play golf i would rather play if i could play one of those sports for the rest of my life look there's nothing that i love more than the sport of football but well, there's a lot of there's thing there's other things that I love more than sport. When it comes to sports, there's nothing much that I, that, that I love more than football. Football is my favorite sport by far. But when you're asking me which one would I rather play for the rest of my life, like if I could play one of those sports for the rest of my life and be good at it, I would probably do golf. I would definitely do golf, and the reason is because the the wear and tear on your body in football is crazy. You know, countless times your knees are going to get hurt, your your ankles. You know, your whole body goes through a beating every single day. You're putting your body on the line. And in the game of golf, you can play until I look. I was playing with one of my uncles the other day who's really old, and he's still out there just hitting the ball just right down the fairway. Do you think you could put on the pads and get on the football field? I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, so to answer your question, I definitely think golf. And it would be if I could get better at golf because right now it's a little bit, sometimes it could be frustrating. But if I was good at both sports, and could play them for the end of, you know, however time goes on, I would take golf. So if you, real quick, give me t- give me like one of the biggest misconceptions that people have of high-level football first, and then we'll get into golf. But, you know, there's armchair quarterbacks every single Saturday, every single Sunday, every Monday. There's dudes just sitting in their house, eating <laughs> Cheetos, drinking a beer, and they're <laughs> like, this guy can't catch a football. So give me like your biggest misconception for athletes on the field and like what they go through. Yeah, I think the biggest thing, I, I don't know if I want to try to answer this question right, but I think just maybe not answering, it might not be answering your question completely, but when I you brought up a point that I, I think about all the time. So many people are watching these games. Everyone's watching a game on Sunday. And like you're saying, I hear countless time and time again, the quarterback's not making the right read. You know, the wide receiver isn't doing this, whatever. So I guess the biggest misconception a lot of times for people watching is, you don't know, even the coaches sometimes, even the people up in the press box, no one can truly feel what it's like to be on that field and see what someone is seeing unless they're that person. 
I've always thought that NF, the NFL or college football, even in general, it would be cool if they were to have like a helmet cam from the quarterback. The reason I say that is because a lot of people, the quarterback's one of the first positions people like to criticize, you know, and especially at Alabama this year, Jalen Milrow, people want to criticize him for everything. You can't put yourself in the, like no one else can put themselves in that, in those shoes. Even if you're a former quarterback, you can't really tell what's going on inside that guy's head or what his vision exactly is. Maybe there's a, you know, a D lineman that's coming up on the left side and it's like blurring his vision a bit. Maybe he feels like there's pressure out of his peripherals on his right side. And as, as a fan, you're looking down there and you're like, oh, like this guy, he didn't even see him. Like, why didn't he make that throw? We don't know. No one really knows except for that guy who's making the plays. So I'd say the greatest misconception is a lot of people want to criticize players for missed catches for, you know, misreads as a quarterback or wonder what they're doing, what a running back's doing going through a hole. But the biggest thing is you don't truly know. You can tell as much as you want. There's analysts out there for a reason who know a ton about the game, a lot more than I'll ever know about the game. But uh, yeah, unless you're truly down there on the field and that's in that the cleats that guy's wearing, it's a really hard thing to know exactly what you know what they're seeing and what they're doing. Yeah, yeah, and I'm actually curious from your perspective though, because you're for anybody that's listening to this right now or watching this and and you don't know who this gentleman is, <laughs> wide receiver for Alabama for four years. Mm -hmm. So from the wide receiver position in specific, I think in my personal opinion, the biggest critique that you get or that I hear when it comes to wide receivers is if the ball touches your hands, you should fucking catch it. Right. So from your perspective, what do you have to say to all those haters out there, all those armchair quarterbacks that are sitting there in their couch and they're like, I don't understand why he couldn't catch it. It hit him in the hands. Well, see, this is where I, I have a different viewpoint. Um, look, I had plenty of drops. My hands were not perfect in college, whether it be practice on the field, whenever it was, my hands were not perfect. And I had drops. I do think, and I do believe if the ball touches a receiver's hands and it is somewhat catchable, the guy has to catch it. So I like, I don't think now, do I think Joe Schmo who's sitting in his chair at home who's eating some popcorn has the right to yell at someone and be like, why the hell can he catch, catch the ball? Because I don't even know if the guy eating the popcorn could catch the ball if someone threw it right to him. Yeah. No, but because it's a very hard thing. When you're running so fast, you may have to turn around. You may have to look. But as a wide receiver, it's your job to catch the ball. So I agree with the fact of the high standard of if it touches your hands, for the most part, you got to catch the freaking football. Yeah. And, it, and it sounds – it's not easy. Don't get me wrong. It's not easy. You could be – your legs could be tangled up. There could be another guy on you. There's all these different, um, you know, variables. But at the end of the day, it's your job to catch the football. So you do got to make the catches. And a lot of times when you see guys make these, you know, drop or have these drops is happens to be lack of focus or it's, you know, wet and rainy. There's different situations, but that's why it's your goal and practice to, you know, try to do every single scenario possible to catch that ball. They have guys out there with like broomsticks, some teams like doing them in front of the guy's eyes when they're trying to catch the ball. They have all these kind of drills and that's why they do them. Um, so yeah, for the people who do say that, I, I agree. I don't think that some random person has the right to say it, but, or everyone has the right to say whatever they want, but I don't think they should be saying it so cruel to some of these guys. But at the end of the day, it's a wide receiver's job to, to catch the football. You got to catch the football. Yeah. What, what do you think? What's the number one thing that's happening when we see miscommunications between quarterbacks and wide receivers where you're supposed to run maybe like a five yard out and then cut in, but the wide receiver goes one way and the quarterback throws it another way. What's happening in that miscommunication right then and there? Was that just quarterback not being clear on what he wanted? Wide receiver didn't know the playbook or you just weren't paying attention? Like what happened? 
I think there's a it's a loaded question because there's could be countless reasons of why that happened. But I would think that one of the biggest things is that people don't understand. And we go back to misconceptions about football is a lot of people say, gosh, the wide receivers aren't, aren't open. A lot of people blame the quarterbacks. The thing about it is there's 11 players on the field at a time. Every single player has a role and needs to do that role correctly for everything to work out. So if the if the offensive line is blocking and they're giving the quarterback significant time to make a pass, then, okay, you look past that. Okay, what's the next thing? The quarterback looks at his receivers. Are the receivers running the right routes? You know, guys, slack off. This is why it's so important at the wide receiver position position to be to to do things with such like you know discipline and detail because if you run that if you're the first read and the quarterback's supposed to see you at a certain second count you you run a five yard in if you run that a little bit slower than usual if you get you know bogged down or whatever then it's gonna the quarterback's gonna be like okay check him off he's gonna move on to the next person and if the next person's not doing it right and getting to their spot at the right time then the quarterback doesn't have it doesn't have the ability to throw to them and then you get into this like, okay, where do I throw? Is everyone doing their job? All that to say, I've rambled a little bit, but every single player has to do their job right and have the discipline to most of the time, you know, or the play is not going to work out. And a lot of times people blame it on the quarterback, and it's hard because I'm looking out there and I'm like, okay, the receivers aren't open. You know, none of these guys are creating separation. And so you're going to sit here and blame the quarterback. Well, he has no one to throw to. And then if the if the receivers are open sometimes and they're getting mad at the quarterback, a lot of times the offensive line isn't giving the adequate enough time for the quarterback to yeah. make the throw. So all in all, it's just like that's the importance of it. It's a, it's an amazing sport, and one of the great reasons or one of the reasons why is because a lot of times every player has to do their job right and everything has to go right for the quarterback to make the pass. And then when he does make the pass, the guy's got to make the catch. So every position in, in football, in my opinion, has its own little pressures, like from the outside looking in, right? QB is going to get blamed for everything on the offense. Yeah, You know what I'm saying? So as a wide receiver, like what's the biggest pressure that you would feel on the field at any given moment? I guess the fact that if the ball is going to come your way, you have to make that catch. You know, it, it it's you got to run a good route or if you're blocking for a running back or, you know, whoever it may be, quarterback draw, you've got to do your job to block. Because it's so critical. People forget about it. The, everyone wants to blame the offensive line for blocking, but tight ends and wide receivers massive uh, play a massive role in that. You know, I've seen countless times where the running back will get on the outside. And if that one wide receiver made that block, the quarterback's house call, 100 yeah. yards. And a lot of times people, it'll get overlooked because the running back will still get 10 yards or so. But what Coach Saban would always preach and show and, and film, looking back at it, he's like, look, so-and-so, if you had this one block, then they would have gone house call. So I guess the biggest pressure was you got to make the catch. You got to get off the line of scrimmage and and get your route done. And then when it like when it comes down to it, got to make the catch. But also blocking was huge. You know, if, if a running back is going to be running from the backfield, as a wide receiver, you got to know what your job is with the blocking. Are you going to run outside release and get the guy's eyes to go with you and take him away so there's more field and more space for the running back to go? Or are you going to just, you know, do you have to run inside and grab the safety and block him? So I guess blocking and catching the wide receiver position has a lot of different roles. Yeah. Um, and a lot of times I see guys just want to run routes and catch the football. No, it's a, you got to do everything. Yeah. You know, you mentioned, uh, you mentioned playing for coach Saban, arguably greatest football coach in college football history. Um, a lot of people talk about how he's the highest paid college football coach, but again, going back to you from your perspective, not talking for anybody else, but for Mac Hereford, 
wide receiver at Alabama, playing for Nick Saban. What's that like, man? It was a pretty, um, I mean, Coach Saban, like we've talked about it, highest paid coach in college football. It's that way for a reason. You know, he is the best at what he does. But I like to tell people the way he did it, and, and in particular for me, I didn't spend, it's not like I spent a lot of quality time with Coach Saban. It's not like we were chatting it up. There was a relationship with me and other guys as well where he's the CEO of a business. You know, here's Coach Saban on the hierarchy chart. Under Coach Saban, you have position coaches, you have the, the coordinators, the offense and defensive coordinators, and then you have the players underneath them. So the relationship was always through this tree. There wasn't many times where we were having direct just one-on-ones with Coach Saban. Now, there's a reason for that, and it's a lot of the reason he's very successful is because he's so good at being the CEO. And then when he walks into a room, team meeting room, there's immediate respect. Coach Saban would walk, so we would be in the team meeting room waiting as a team. There's chit-chat going on, people talking about what's happening in class, what's going on with the game, drama, whatever's going on out there. You know, position coaches may come in. It kind of quiets down a little bit, but there's, like, still talking going on. When Coach Saban comes in the, the team meeting room, you snap your fingers, and it's silence. just goes over the room because he demands respect, and that's how it was. Is None of us really had... I would say, well, I speak for myself. I never had a super close relationship with Coach Saban where we're on a personable level of talking all the time or talking every day one-on-one about things off the field. Um, but he just did a good job at being, you know, I had respect for him. I think he respected what I did, and I did my job. And that's how it was. You know, he was a good – he's a CEO. He's also a good coach um, and was on the field with us every day. And I, I got to spend some time with him because he was – the, you know, he's DBs. He worked a lot with the defensive backs and the defense. And I was scout team wide receiver. So I was running routes to prepare, you know, his starting guys. Um, and it was always funny because if I didn't have my knee pads low enough, one practice I remember uh, in particular, I walk out. And I always wanted to swag out for practices. And we're, he told us over and over again, you got to have your knee pads over your knees. And I bought my knee pads up over my knees. And I'm getting lined up. It's DBs versus wide receivers. We're doing release drills. And I line up against someone getting ready to go. And Coach Saban's like, what the hell is this guy doing? Can, can you get some knee pads? Can you wear the knee pads over your knees? Just ripping into me, talking about the details. I just think it's funny. You know, it's like every little detail mattered to Coach Saban. Uh, and he would rip into you no matter who you were or what you were doing if you weren't doing what he wanted you to do. That's badass, dude. That's awesome. I think that's one of the things that like separates him from other people. And and I appreciate the fact that you brought up the hierarchy too, is because everybody always wants to talk about the quarterback losing the game. Everybody wants to talk about the head coach losing the game. And I think what gets lost a lot is, yeah, Nick Saban's responsible for everything that happens, good or bad, at, on the football field, right? Mm-hmm. But if he doesn't have high-quality receivers coaches, if he doesn't have high-quality defensive line coaches and quarterbacks coaches – then none of that stuff he, – he cannot manage every single person on the field, every single practice, and every single game. And I think that's where it would be nice if if the sports media that there is right now would kind of shine a bigger light on those position coaches and some of the other coaches that are on the field because it's not just that one dude making it all happen. Oh, 100%. And it's – I mean, it's one of the biggest things and I think one of the biggest challenges Coach Saban has had to deal with in the past couple of years that a lot of people are not talking about enough – is we again we want to say it's the quarterback's fault we want to say it's even the offensive coordinator's fault we want to say it's all these different people's faults but at the end of the day for Alabama in the program what's been tough is coach Saban is known to take guys and be a launch pad for coaches and players players to the NFL 
coaches to becoming a head coach, an offensive coordinator somewhere. So these coaches come in, and the the turnover is so quick. You got a guy who comes in for one year, does is an offensive coordinator, recruits a class. That class is coming to Alabama because this coach recruited them. That coach leaves. Another offensive coordinator has to come in. And what is this offense? This is what a lot of people don't talk about because people always want to blame. A lot of people want to blame the offensive coordinator as well. So offensive coordinator comes in, and specifically at Alabama, he recruited his guys. The offensive coordinator before him recruited guys. And in the recruiting process, you have a plan. So if I'm the offensive coordinator and I'm recruiting so-and-so, so-and-so, and so-and-so, I have my guys here. I know what I want to do with these guys, but I'm recruiting these guys to plan out things years in advance. Yeah. And so the big challenge is this offensive coordinator leaves and now a new one comes in and is left with the pieces of the puzzle that this other guy had this strategy for. He had the strategy and this plan. The new guy comes in. He has to evaluate, okay, what do I do with the guys here? Because this other guy had a plan for them. What do I do with the guys he had coming and how do I make it all work? So it's a big challenge when you have the coaching turnover happens so much for Alabama it's a really challenging thing and not enough people talk about that everyone wants to just blame 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 well there's a lot of reasons it's tough and there's a lot of reasons that these guys can't figure some things out you know yeah that's crazy that you mentioned that too because the I think the standard for a lot of people in the SEC is that Alabama is the team to beat although let's be honest Georgia's the team to beat right now <laughs> just saying for the last couple of years now it's been Georgia on top and Bama's been sleeping in the shadows <laughs> Must have been some OC issues over there. So offensive oh, coordinators gosh. coming and going. But but in all reality, though, Bama's like set the standard for, for a very long time, right? They were the team that everybody needed to beat if they were going to try to win a national championship. Mm. And and it's crazy that you mentioned that though, because they are the team that the offensive coordinators and the defensive coordinators, I have to imagine, they're getting cherry picked out of that place to go into head coaching positions. Position other coaches too. And and I never, I never once considered how that school was able to continuously put out such a high quality product, and almost every single year they're constantly having to switch key pieces in and out and still make it all work. Exactly, like it is That's a, nuts. it's crazy. I mean, you look at my, let's go, let's look at my wide receiver coaches in the span of four years. Started off with Coach Napier. Coach Napier is now the head coach of Florida. Then you go on to, I believe. Um, was it Loxley or Gaddis next? I think it was, um, uh, gosh, I think it was uh, Josh Gaddis, maybe. Now I believe he's the offensive coordinator at Maryland. He was the OC and passing game coordinator at Michigan. Then you have Mike Loxley, who was one of my wide receiver coaches. He's now the head coach of Maryland. Then you have uh, Holman Wiggins, who's still there. But you look at that four years, coaches are all now, like they're like head coaches and stuff. Yeah. And then you look at the offensive coordinators, you know, I had Lane Kiffin now the head coach of Ole Miss. I had Steve Sarkeesian, now the head coach at um, Texas. I had Loxley was an offensive coordinator, coordinator, now the head coach at Maryland. Um, And who am I missing out on here? Uh, And Brian Dayball. And now he's like the guy for the the Giants. He's the head coach of the Giants, right? Brian Dayball? Uh, I think so, yeah. 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 So four coaches are now, four offensive coordinators are all now head coaches. I had four different offensive coordinators in four years, and I think four different wide receiver coaches in four years. Like it's, it's nuts. And so, yeah, it's just, it's a lot for people to deal with. And it's, it shows you how good coach Saban is because he's been able to have to deal with that and still manage to make this program that standard. Yeah. And, and we're hanging on this year. Look, we're, we're it hasn't been pretty, but you know, I was going to ask, on there. I was going to ask you cause for, I'm not an, obviously I'm not a, he, 
I hate Alabama football. <laughs> Don't hate me, but I'm one of those guys that's any team that's playing Alabama, that's the team that I'm cheering oh, for. Oh, you're week. such a – oh, God. <laughs> everyone. I mean, that's how you know we're still we're still the dynasty is because <laughs> everyone wants to beat Alabama. I mean, once the, t- the time comes where people are rooting for Alabama against other teams, okay, I'll say the dynasty is dead. But until that time comes when people are still wanting every team to beat Alabama, I'm just going to continue to say the dynasty is still alive. Yeah. Oh, that, that actually kind of makes me think about another question too. Um, do you guys have like a sale every year where your bandwagon tickets just kind of like they get reduced in price or do you guys always charge the same amount for people to buy tickets on your bandwagon to be a fan of Alabama? Oh my gosh. Cause it seems like you guys have like an endless amount of people cheering for you every single year. That's because we're one of the, we have a great fan base, <laughs> you know, that's all it is. We have a great fan base. People grow up in Alabama, want to be an Alabama fan. People love the tide. I mean, what's wrong with that? You know, you got to love the tide. Well, so aside from shit talking for a second, everybody that's gone on to be a head coach at another team has basically failed to ever beat Saban in a football game. I think Kirby Smart is the first head coach at a school in recent times that's been able to beat Nick Saban head-to-head. With everything that we've just been talking about, all of the rotation of offensive coordinators and coaches that come in and out of Alabama because of how – much of a spotlight you guys have and how good of a job they do. What do you think it is that makes it so difficult for these coaches that have worked under Nick Saban to go to another school and then now come in and beat him because it, it basically never happens. Yeah. The, and, and, and then it's a interesting point this year, Steve, Steve Sarkeesian did it with Texas, which was a huge shock. They brought that statistic up and it was crazy. He the the record he had against former coaches. I think it's a lot like if you think about, you know, the Star Wars movies, if you want to bring them into the the thing, if anyone's seen those, but you got Yoda, Yoda trains these other people. Coach Saban is like Yoda, you know, he's trained all these other Jedi. It's extremely hard for the Jedi who Yoda trained to ever be able to be at the level of Yoda. You know, he was the one who taught them these things. And so I think it's very difficult when they're using the things he taught them and they haven't been at that head coach position as long as he has been. So it's, it's hard to create a system that he's created when he's had more time to do it and has had more experience. So these guys, you know, have what Kirby's been the head coach of Georgia however many years, a lot less than Nick Saban's been yeah. the head coach of Alabama. Yeah. And so I think maybe over time they'll, the percentages will rise with these coaches potentially beating Coach Saban. But for now, they just haven't had enough time. They're using his strategy and they're taking, I think, you know, what they're doing is probably taking the best of his strategy and implementing their own strategies to try to beat him. Um, but it's just going to take time. And I think that's why right now, you know, there's a fresh Jedi that essentially Yoda has trained and they're not going to be able to have a chance against them when they've just been, you know, Jedi, they got to be Jedi for a long time to be able to beat them. Like, I'm going to give you the fact that you just compared Nick Saban to Yoda. I'm going <laughs> to let that one slide. That's a pretty decent analogy, I think, but may, <laughs> have, usually taken horrible it, may have taken it a little too far, but I, nah. um, do you think, do you think coach Saban has passed on? all of the knowledge that he can every single time with his coaches? Or do you think he like still is holding on to some like crucial information that he's not sharing with people? Because again, we go back and not in a bad way, but Alabama's football program, if you're a coach, it's a turnstile, man. It's like 
you if you're a player, you want to go to places like Alabama and Georgia and Texas and Florida. You want to go to these big name schools because it gets you a better chance of getting into the league, right? And if you're a coach, you want to go coach for Nick Saban because he has the best record out of any coach. He's the best coach that's ever done it. But if you're only there for a year and then you leave, I feel like Saban's got to have some like nuggets of wisdom that he holds on to. And he's he's maybe only shared them with like a few individuals and not everybody. Yeah, I would I would think the way I would like to think about it is I think one is you can't get at everything in a year. Maybe you can. I don't think he's afraid to show the process. This is what I think is makes him a badass, is I think he's willing to put the process out there. I think you can see it. You can read about it in books. There's been books about Coach Saban. There's been people who've interviewed him. There's been you know television series or whatever about Coach Saban. There's been all these things. I don't think he's hiding anything, and that's what I think makes it so cool. I don't think he hides a single thing. I just think he, think, or he knows that he's going to be the best at the process that he's built. Yeah. And so he's not afraid to give out as many nuggets as possible. It's, are you going to execute the nuggets he's given out? And I don't think he thinks anyone's really going to do it like he does. That's why it's dope. You know, it's, it would be like someone in um, the game. It's, it's, it's a cool thing. It's when you know you're the top dog. It'd be like someone in the game of golf, and they're like the premier golfer, and they're telling you every single tip just because they know you're not going to do it as good as they can. Yeah. You know, that's what I think. I don't think he, I don't think he would ever try to hide. Maybe he's hidden some things or hasn't given the full – bits of wisdom to every single guy and I think that you would have to be there for a certain period of time to pick up on everything but I don't think he's hiding anything I think he lets people in the door of how the process works and just knows that no one's going to do the process as good as he does how many of these coaches coming in his program and leave and go on to other programs how many of them do you think are sitting there like my way is better like yeah I learned something from Nick Saban and yeah Nick Saban's great and he's he knows how to win and all that stuff but I think that my system could beat his and so there's like a stubbornness where they they just try to beat him with their own their own mentality i bet there's quite a few I, I feel like there's probably a good bit of those people who think that their ways especially coaches you know i don't i can't confirm or deny it because you would have to ask the the coaches but i would assume because that's just in, in human nature in a sense if i see a strategy you have that pride of like okay i know what works i know what he's done but I can do his way and I can add in my way and make it better. I know there's people, they're definitely thinking that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't doubt it. And I think that's why they end up losing so often. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Cause clearly it's not as good well, that, or they just can't, they, they do think his system is the right way, but they can't execute it at the high level that he does. Yeah. Well, and I think there's also something to be said too, is, is the recruiting class, right? Like, you know, you, you have kids that are coming to play at, at Alabama and, and some of these bigger name schools and they're the top end talent. And so, you know, these guys might work with Saban for a year, get a head coaching job somewhere else, but now they don't have the recruiting power that a school like Alabama or Auburn or, or any like Michigan, like any of these schools do. And so now they don't necessarily have the caliber of players that it might take to win those games as well. Exactly. Yeah. That's a really good point. I mean, they can all try the system but you have to have the certain level players to make yeah. that system work. Yeah. Because one of the things that intrigues people that I think, I mean, even it intrigues me, um, is like you look at Alabama and you look at the fact, so at Alabama they can have, you know, you can be three five stars deep, you know, guys who should be playing at any other school. And then you go to another school, a smaller school, they may have a five star and he may not be doing what he's supposed to be doing as the starter. He may not be doing a great job and can get away with more. And the system can kind of break because the coaches know that they need that guy 
Whereas Coach Saban can be like, okay, I know the next guy wants a shot, yeah, and he's gonna be here, and so then like let's just go on to the next guy, you know, with it's next man up. It's like that old uh, Minutemen yeah. from back in the day. Like I, like I think that's the concept, and like whatever war that was, it was just next man up, and that's yeah. kind of how it is at the University of Alabama. Is he's got all these guys who are invested, and you're three five three to four to five people deep who can all do the position well and want that shot, and so it just makes the system work all in all. Yeah. Hey, you don't want to wear your knee pads in the right place during practice, <laughs> and guess what? I got somebody else as well into. Oh, gosh, exactly. <laughs> My God. So switching gears a little bit, still kind of staying on football, but the one of the biggest hot topics right now in the game of football, especially professional football, is turf versus grass. So, again, as a wide receiver, would you rather play on turf or would you rather play on grass, and then why? I would definitely rather play on grass than on turf. Now – there are so the reason I say that is for like mostly just the injuries. You know, there's look at the end of the day, and this is one of my buddies, Quentin Williams. Shout out to him. He said something that was like, I don't care what I play on. I'm just going to go out there and I, I just want to dominate. Um, at the end of the day, you're going to play on whatever surface they have. And I don't care, like for me personally, I don't care if it's concrete, turf, grass, brick, whatever the heck it is, I'm going to play football and I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. But if you're asking me which one would I want to play on, I just have to go with grass because I can remember in college, I think it was my sophomore year, we had just been on the indoor. We have an indoor at Alabama, and it's turf, whether whereas the outdoor is grass. And on that turf field, I remember getting turf toe bad. And then I fractured a small bone in my big toe because of the fact that it's just the pounding on the turf over and over again. It's a harder surface. But it's interesting because I, I, I liked turf at the same time because I felt quicker. You yeah. know, your cleats are less stuck in there, so you're you feel quicker on turf a lot of times. But just for the fact of like when you hit the turf, you get turf burn. And let me tell you, one of the worst things that can happen from turf is turf burn. It literally every football player can relate to turf burn. You get turf burn one time, you go out, you lay out for a pass, bang, you got your arm. It stings like heck. You have to take a shower after. It starts to heal up a couple of days later, and then you're out there and you get another catch. And of course, you fall on the same arm, arm and, and re-damage it again. Turf burn is literally so reoccurring, and it's like the one spot. It could be a weird spot on your knee or something, and it's going to keep getting burned over and over again on turf. Uh, all in all, yes, I would definitely rather play on grass than turf just because of the, of the wear and tear of the body. But at the end of the day, to me, it, it's if you're going to give me the opportunity to play football, I'll play on whatever surface you want me to play on. Yeah. So which one's worse, turf burn or like rug burn? Ooh, that's tough. That's really tough. I don't know. I haven't had rug burn in, in a minute, so I, I can't <laughs> tell you, but I, th I think they're probably sim very similar. You know, that's funny. I never would have thought about, like, turf burn. I would have just thought that it would have been, like, an easy fall and, like, no big deal, but that's that's crazy. Because, I mean, it is basically just, like, falling on plastic, right? Yeah. I mean, it rips up your, like, in the pounding on your your joints, you know? It just hurts. Like, like I said, the wear and tear on my big toe just over time it just fractured it because of the just amount and then people get in turf toe and then your knees and your back and like the injuries you, there's less move like you know your foot can step in grass and move a little bit but in turf it can like 
You know, you're gonna get you're gonna get more injuries in turf. Like I'm guarantee I guarantee it's scientifically proven somewhere that more injuries are on turf. So the the conversation right now with the NFL is turf versus grass. There's a lot of people that are calling for the NFL to get rid of all the turf services and just switch to real grass. And there's even people that are out there talking about like it's 2023. We've got billion dollar football stadiums. We've got lights that can grow like all kinds of things indoors, not necessarily just grass. Like why can't we just have real grass? on on these surfaces no matter whether it's a dome or not so for you are you on the side of like get rid of turf at all every at every single nfl stadium and just put real grass in or where do you stand on that conversation i guess i don't really have this is not the answer you're going to want to hear but on the turf versus graph conversation i don't really have an answer i'm not out there playing on the grass i'm not out there playing on the turf look if i'm in the nfl and i am playing then maybe I'd have more of a viewpoint on it. And I want to be able to support those who are speaking out about it or speaking for it. But at the end of the day, I don't know enough about the situation. And it's not something that I really want, like want to put my two cents on because I just don't know. Yeah. Look, if it, like I like, you know, they are paying those guys a lot of money. But then at the end of the and at the end of the day, like if it's really damaging people over time and they want to make it better then then fix it, I guess. But I yeah, I don't really know enough about the situation um, to say whether it should be fixed or not. You know, yeah. If enough people care, it, it'll be fixed. Yeah, that's you know, true. if enough players want it to be changed, it's going to change. But I think you just have guys who really don't care, and then you have some guys who are really passionate about it. But yeah, if, if you have enough guys who are behind it and want it to get changed, and they go to the NFL, and the NFL doesn't change it, well, then that's a problem. Yeah, because the, they're the guys playing for the NFL. Well, and what's funny is like the whole reason that this even got brought up and started even being like a major conversation right now is because <laughs> Travis Kelsey just recently twi- like rolled his ankle mm-hmm. playing on a turf surface. And with all the media hype out oh, there right now with Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift, everybody's paying attention to what's going on with Travis Kelsey. So I think it just had like a bigger spotlight put on it and it made people start talking about it more. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if there's some Swifties out there. They're like, get rid of the turf so we don't have our little boy Chelsea getting his ankles <laughs> Oh, my gosh. That is <laughs> absurd. So I didn't even know. I've I've been all over the place lately. I haven't watched as many games I need to watch, but that's interesting. So he got injured on the turf. Yeah. And now it's become a big – because it was already a big thing. Then I remember it was funny because I think Kittle was one of the people speaking out about it as well yeah. at the beginning of the season. And Kittle has a turf field here in Nashville, I think. Yeah, and what's on. and what's funny is like Kittle and Kelsey, I think are like pretty good boys. Yeah. And so it's like, you know, <laughs> but yeah, the, it was um, it was like a weekend, like a week or so ago. What it wasn't, I think they just played on Thursday night this week, so it was like Sunday before that. Okay. Um, yeah, they were playing, and uh, Kelsey, Kelsey rolled his ankle, a little high ankle sprain, almost came out of the game. He ended up staying in, uh, finishing out the game. I think he got a touchdown. Thanks, helped out my fantasy football team. I appreciate <laughs> it. Um, but, yeah, what? how do you feel about all of the hype on the Travis-Kelsey-Taylor Swift situation right now? A lot of people talking about how Taylor's putting Travis on the map and nobody knew who he was until he started dating her. It's nuts. I mean, I've talked about this with my friends. It's like you got Travis-Kelsey-Taylor Swift. At first, you look at it, and, and it, so the timeline – so there's the rumors. The rumors start. You're hearing Taylor Swift, Travis Kelsey. I didn't believe it at first. I was like, okay, this is kind of this has got to be some kind of joke. And then you see proof that she's at the game. She's with Travis Kelsey's mom. And then it moves on to that that she's at the bar with Travis Kelsey. She's going to dinner with Travis Kelsey. So now the, at first it's like, a, is this true? Then you're like, okay, this could be true. Now you're like, it's happening. It's real. And then so it's it's kind of wild. It was it was a getting a little bit. You know, it was a lot 
for a little bit. It was just they're showing Taylor Swift on the TV all the time. I'm trying to watch a football game. I think Taylor Swift got some great songs out there, um, you know, but it's just like every second was Taylor Swift. They're changing their Instagram bios to Taylor Swift. They're making their Instagram cover photos, their Twitter cover photos or Taylor Swift. It was a lot. And I think that the thing they need to realize, like if I was the NFL, I think it's awesome. Ride the wave of it because it did. It was a great branding and marketing yeah. you know, scheme. You're getting people fired up. There's either people extremely excited about it and you're growing this fan base of Swifties or you got people who are pissed off about it and annoyed by it, but they're still having a reaction. So it's like you're, you know, any publicity could be good publicity yeah. at the end of the day. But it's it's really interesting. It's it's crazy, and I think it's wild. It shows you the value, you know, and just knowing people, and also the value of like just different things, like of of a celebrity, like what the value they have at a certain point, because especially one of Taylor Swift's stature, because you're gaining. You see these jersey sales. You see these like this. He's getting. He's on every commercial. Yeah. Travis Kelsey has been on like the past twenty commercials. I've I've seen him on like any kind of product you can think of. Travis Kelsey is on that commercial now. Yeah. And it's nuts. He is riding the wave and it looks like they're happy. And if they're happy and they're enjoying life together, I'm for it. You know, go ahead, live your lives. And I like, I think that like they're having fun with it. Just keep doing your thing. But if he does end it with her, she ends it with him and it ends on a poor note. God bless his soul because I think she'll probably write some bangers off of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think most of the people, I mean, look, if you look at it from an outsider's perspective, with a, a, a big worldview. I mean, I wouldn't say putting, that's where I think like putting him on the map or putting her on the map, whatever it is for either side, is just not a great point to make to say someone. So either of them are putting each other on the map. They've both been on the map, you know, and their perspective, their perspective places. Now was Taylor Swift bigger and more well-known? Yes. So maybe she's putting Travis Kelsey on the map with Swifties right. and people who don't care about football. But when it comes to football, he was, He's been on the map. He's one of the greatest. You know what I'm saying? And then for her, you know, Travis Kelsey, if we're going to use the put it on the map thing, I guess put her on the map maybe with avid football fans, but not really. Like, people already know who Taylor Swift – everyone knows who Taylor Swift is, you know? Yeah, I was kind of going to go that way. Like, I bet there are some football fans out there that never knew anything about Taylor Swift and still until she started dating Travis. And so um, – it's kind of funny. You're either you're either Travis is dating Taylor or Taylor's dating Travis. It's like one or the other. You know? Yeah. See, that's where I come in, and I'm like, look, it's Travis and Taylor just dating each other. You yeah. Know? <laughs> I don't really take a side on the whole thing. Dude, so, like, how funny is that, though, that, like, we're talking about it right now. Other people are t – millions of people are talking about it. What's your thought on that? Like, celebrities in the spotlight and how the mass public just loves talking about who's dating who I think it's like the most ridiculous thing ever. Um, people are just people and they date people like no one's standing outside my house trying to take pictures of my wife and I like <laughs> what's going on in the Murray household today. You know what I mean? I don't know if people are following you around every single day. Like who's, who's Mac talking to today? <laughs> like there's a, uh, you know, uh, it's, it is something that always people love. I don't know why when it comes to anything, it's like, it's, it's, it's a get sad at one point. I guess some people make their livelihood off paparazzi off gossip drama, but it's also because there's people out there who want to see that stuff. I don't care to see it. I don't care. Travis Kelsey's dating Taylor Swift. Great. You know, yeah. great. Like uh, my friends say like, great. Like it's, it's cool. But like, I don't really care. I think it's a little bit wild and over the top too. And I feel bad sometimes for celebrities or people who have, you know, very notable people out there because it's, 
it's not easy. I mean, the argument against that is that like, look, they put themselves in the spotlight with, with what they're doing, which is there's truth in that. But at the end of the day, like it kind of sucks. Like the privacy, like the fact that they have to go anywhere and everywhere. I mean, imagine if they have kids at some point, their kids are going to be under the spotlight. Yeah. But see, my argument to that though, is that I think to an extent people in their in their shoes, put themselves out there to be in the public eye, but it's different. Like Travis Kelsey's playing professional football and so you just know that part of playing professional football is you're going to be on TV on Sunday, right? Mm-hmm. And you're you're playing a game and people are going to know who you are and they're going maybe going to buy your jersey with your name on it and shit. Like that's all normal, right? Maybe you get some advertising deals so you film some commercials and you, you know, you're on TV for some commercials here and there. But you're not signing up to have people with like telephoto lenses taking f- pictures of you <laughs> at dinner from like a mile away. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that's that's like a whole nother thing. And, you know, to Taylor Swift's point, like she signed up to sing music. Okay. We know she's going to make music videos. We know she's going to do concerts. She's going to do tours. People are going to want to see her in person. You might run into her and you're going to recognize her on the street. But I, at what point did she sign up to have 50 people following her every single time she moves an inch? Like that's absolutely absurd and ridiculous at my point. Yeah, it's it's really tough. But at the end of the day, again, like when you go a certain like I'm not saying Taylor Swift should have done this, but I, I just it's just a hard it's a hard conversation. It's an interesting conversation because at the end of the day, look, she could have been a ghostwriter and gone the route of making a crap ton of money and letting someone else do that. But she decided to do that. So I think like nowadays you have to realize that if you're going to take the route of being a, a certain kind of job occupation. Some of that stuff's going to come with it. Yeah. And and people have, I think there's ways to work around it. Now, do I think it's all fair? I don't know. I think it's just a good conversation. Like, look, it would be cool to talk to someone at some point who is that way, you know, to get them on your pod and, and, and like, discuss that. Because it's a very interesting thing, and I don't know the answer to it. But I just know that, like, there's a good argument either way. Yeah. So let's switch gears talking about dating. What about you, man? Are you dating anybody right now? Are you still single or are you getting uh, married? What's going on? <laughs> I'm still single. I actually just recently went on, shout out to uh, Mackie and Kenna, a podcast here in Nashville. It's kind of like a dating, you know, talking about life uh, podcast um, called Love You By podcast. I uh, just went on that, talked a little bit about my dating life. I haven't dated any, well, I'm not dating anyone right now. I'm completely single. Um, definitely looking for a girl to date at some point. Uh, I think I've just got a make sure that I'm ready to date. And I think that like for a while I may have thought that I was ready, but I've had like realizations, whether it's things I was doing that were not, you know, the kind of guy I want to be or whatever it may be. Um, so to answer your question, I've rambled a lot. No, I'm not dating anyone at this moment. I'm single. Um, definitely going to start going on some more dates here soon and, you know, looking to settle down. I'm 26 years old. I've got a, I was on someone's podcast the other day. And they, I think we were talking about it earlier. It was like, dude, you're 26 years old. You got to hurry up. I don't think there needs to be a rush, but I definitely think if I want something, which I do, and I want to have a family and I want to have kids, I think at some point I've got to realize that I've got to start making actions that are going to get me to that goal of where I want to be. And I don't think I've been doing that in the past couple of years. So, so like, what is your goal though? Right? Like you married kids, all that kind of stuff. How many kids do you want to have? I want to have a lot. A lot? I want to have a lot of kids. Do you come I, from a big family? Is that why you want to have yeah. a lot of kids? Yeah, so I think that's probably def- that's a big part of it. I came from a family, um, 
five, and then we have like I say adopted brother. It's a long story there, but I have like an adopted brother, so there's like six kids, uh, my two parents, um, and you know we have a bunch of cousins, and it was so much fun growing up in a big family. I mean, anyone who's grown up in a big family, I think they love having a big family. Yeah, it's awesome. You get to play like, and especially we were all two years apart. Like, like I'm not having ever to search for friends, and if I couldn't make friends, well, heck, I'm stuck. My brothers and my sister are stuck with me. Yeah. So at the end of the day, just having a big family was awesome. Like everyone's supporting you. You have natural born supporters. You have people who you love. People are always going to be in your corner. That's why I love a big family, and that's why I think I definitely want to have a big family. Like I love kids. I just love being around different people, and you know, I loved my childhood. So I want to be able to give that same experience to, you know, my kids someday. Yeah, that's awesome, man. So I still think that there's no hurry, man. At 26, in my opinion, I don't think, I don't think anybody, guys or girls, should even think about getting married until they're at least 30. Really? Um, especially guys. And Interesting. Especially guys that are sort of like in the public eye, you know, like you are. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's something to be said for guys and girls really really trying to figure out themselves and figure out like you mentioned what version of themselves they're going to eventually be Mm -hmm. and i think in order for you to get to a point where you can really look at a significant other and say these are the things that are going to fulfill me and they're going to make me a better person bottom line is in order for people to be genuinely happy in a relationship you have to be totally settled with who you are and where you're at in your life And I think when we're in our 20s, we just have so many different things that we're interested in and so many different directions that our lives could go in that it's difficult for anybody to sit there and be like, yeah, for the rest of my life, I want to stay with just this one person and I'm going to be completely happy like that whole time. So I think you need life experiences, travel, I think, you know, different jobs, all these different things. And then when you get to about 30 years old, then you kind of have an idea of like where you're at and you're kind of settled. And then it's a lot easier for you to find people that you could get married to that you could have kids with yeah it's an interesting point i mean i don't think there's a rush i've heard it actually another thing about it, i've heard both ways i've heard people say hey you need to experience life more you should you know take your time and then i've heard people saying hey you need to get you need to get get on to it you know you're getting older and i think for me personally i think it differs from person to person depending on what you want but for me personally i definitely one of my main goals is to have a family is to have kids to do those things and i think that that's important enough to me now that I've realized that like, look, I'm not in like a super rush. So I'm not going to rush anything. And I think that you have to evaluate. And yes, there's still things I'm figuring out about myself. But I, on the other hand, do think that like, if you find someone who's loyal to you and that you think would make an awesome match, experiment, investigate, date, go on some dates, you know, figure it out, see if you like that person. If you like them enough, then that's where you can decide, okay, I'm going to give a lot of energy to this and really, you know, go for this thing. And then you're, you're serious dating. And then, you know, still want to think about it, still want to like take time. I think you need a, a period of time to really think, is this the right person and and do things line up and can I get along with them? And are they going to be, you know, a good, suitable partner? And when you come to that conclusion, that's where you just, you decide to get married. And so I think it's, uh, dating's an interesting thing. I think it's changed a lot. It's been interesting, especially with my lifestyle of having to travel, having to do all these other things. Cause like you're saying, I'm constantly moving. So it does make it more difficult when I find someone I really enjoy being around or want to talk to, really expressing to them how much they mean to me or how much they care um, when I'm in that investigative stage. So it's tough because a lot of people, you know, if you have a, a regular nine to five, you have time after work, 
go on a date, talk to someone, whatever. You have all that free time. Whereas I'm traveling like every weekend, you know? So if I just meet a girl and I'm like, dang, she's a really great girl. I really want to get to know this girl more. Well, most guys, they might have the option to talk to this girl right after work, whatever. I'm doing 20 different things at once. I'm posting stuff. I'm cutting stuff up, editing stuff. I've got to go to this event, got to go to that event. So it does make it difficult. And that's where I'm starting to realize, like, I'm not slowing down by any means, but I'm starting to at least um, consolidate the things I need to do or what's important to me. Yeah. Because if I continue doing this, then I'm going to miss out on some great girls because of the fact that I'm too busy. You know, I shouldn't be too busy, in my opinion, to be able to talk to someone but everyone's got a different opinion dating is crazy it's a crazy world um especially in in 2023 dating is is out of control um and it's inside yeah. i don't know if it's like it's I, there's a lot of a lot of thoughts i have on it but um, there's like 40 different stages to dating now too there's like we just met and then there's the talking stage and then there's the dating stage and then there's the I mean, it's just insane. Yeah, it's like, I mean, people, I don't know. I, I You get me into it, I will be going down a spiral of, of the dating world. But the dating world is very complex. It's very complicated. And I think just it's, it's you know, a lot of people get hurt and a lot of people don't want people to get hurt. And that in turn hurts people. I, it's just a crazy. I don't know how to deal with it sometimes. Yeah. It's all about priorities, right? <clears throat> so for me, the reason I say that people should take their time and and wait until they're 30 or older before they worry about getting married and having kids is your priorities in life shift. And until you're at a point where you can make someone else your priority and you can make children your priority, I just think it's not worth it to rush into it. You know what I mean? Yeah, but if you, the I guess the, what's the word I'm looking for? The uh, other side of it is the fact that like, if there's someone good enough for me to say, hey, these are my priorities right yeah. now, but I have the ability. Now, look, if you're not in the financial state to be able to support yourself, like, look, you got to do what you got to do to support yourself first. Um, and But at the same time, like for me, because this is the way I like to think about it, if I meet someone who's worth, so you're, you're talking about priorities, and I, it definitely makes sense. If you have priorities, if I meet someone and I'm saying, hey, they're worth me shifting my priorities. Yeah, exactly then bang, they're yeah. the one, you know, I can at least, and I think it's tough because that's again where that investigative stage comes in where like you gotta, you gotta, you gotta feel it out because for me to risk my priorities, I have to think that, you know, okay, this person is at least a, a really valid option. Yeah. And then I start moving those things around and giving more and more energy, but it's a scary thing because you give all that energy, you, you transfer all your priorities and then look, you're left. If it doesn't work out, you're left with uh, yeah. you know, the scraps. <laughs> Yeah, but, you know, you mentioned earlier you travel a lot, and, like, just in the last few weeks, you're on the sidelines of the New York Jets football game <laughs> with your boy Q, right? Yep. This weekend, you're in downtown Nashville. You're hanging out with Danny Ricardo from <laughs> F1 on the and the Red Bull team. So you're, you know, two, three days in a row, you're filming content with Red Bull. You're filming content with F1, with Danny Ricardo. I mean, you're in downtown Nashville shooting videos of, like, you taking shoeys and stuff. <laughs> It's, it's tough, man. Like you have a very fast paced life. You have a life where you're constantly in different places at any given moment. Some people might ask you to go play golf and you don't even respond to their text message for seven hours. Whoa, it is what it is. Okay. You know what Some I'm people saying? may ask very late on the day of <laughs> when you've already been asked at tea time and you're on your phone at the time and you don't like to get on your phone during a golf round. 
Look, they, they, we can we can go down that rabbit I'm hole just, quickly. But no, I, I I get it. Like it is. That's what I've had to look at. It's like, damn. Like I travel so much, and it makes it very hard. Even in that investigative stage, I, I love bringing up that investigative stage because it's just like a it's a interesting point that someone told me. But like when you're getting to know someone and figure out if they're the one, especially in the stage of life that I'm in right now, it's a challenge. Because okay, if I if I like them, I want to be smart about it. I don't want to get hurt right now. I don't I don't have time to go through that pain. I don't need that pain right now. Um, and so it's like I don't want to get hurt. I don't want to hurt someone else. I don't want to mess up their life. And then you got to decide like okay, if I want to give time to this person, and okay, do I stop traveling as much? You know, do I take do I take off some of these opportunities? At the end of the day, I think I have time. I can make time in my schedule if I really want to prioritize someone. But it's just tough to basically make them a priority when you have all this other stuff going on because you're you know naturally we're selfish and like we're traveling and stuff and i think i've been i guess what's the word uh sort i'm looking for guilty of that or a certain extent is not really giving people you know whether it's a girl whether it's a relationship with a girl or someone else like a friend just like a friend relationship i think i'm guilty a lot of times of being selfish because i am traveling so much and that's where it's i've been in this point in my life where i'm starting to reevaluate my priorities and starting to slow things down a little bit in one aspect. I think in the travel stuff and, uh, you know, just doing something new every single weekend. I think that that's going to change here shortly. I'm going to start to find kind of a more structure to my unstructured schedule. Yeah. Um, because that's where I've been. I've, I've, I want to start prioritizing people more, relationships more, and spending more time with family. Um, just kind of had that re- revelation recently. Yeah. And so that's that's kind of the route I'm going on right now. We'll see. It may change. You may see me going 30 different things next week. But You mentioned this investigative stage a couple of different times. I'm curious for you, are you one of those types of people that like in a very short period of time, you can kind of make your mind up of like this person is worth me spending more time around or or maybe not even like, I don't want to say worth you spending time with, but that's someone that you meet a girl and you're like, Hey, I actually like spending time with her. I want to spend more time with her. Does that happen quick for you? Or does it take time for you to get to that point? It it changes from, I guess, girl to girl for me. I think that sometimes it's just like, dang, I really enjoyed that. And I don't know what exactly I enjoyed about every single like part of it. Like whether it's a good conversation, whether it's just, I was super attracted, like whatever it may be, can't really put my finger on what makes me enjoy a date or enjoy spending time with someone right away. Um, but I would say that period of time of, of the commitment time for me definitely takes a period of time. Yeah. Now, like commitment to like, you know, casually talking and dating. No, I can do that. If I'm interested in someone, I'll start to do that. But to really take it to the next level, whether it's like FaceTime and every day or seeing each other every other day, whatever it is, that takes a while. And for me to actually say, hey, let's you know date officially that takes a long time yeah just because it's it's hard like you're saying there's of all these different things going on and to make that commitment you know it's it's a risk it's a risk you have to take and i think that's one thing is like i've dropped the ball on some opportunities to date certain people just because of the fact that like i wasn't really i was selfish in the in 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 scared for myself and didn't want to have to like risk my energy yeah or you know time um, and it ended up, you know, then I look back at it, I'm like, dang, I missed out, you know, should have just risked some time or should have risked some energy. And it sucks at the end of the day, if you get your heart broken or if something bad happens in the dating world or relationship world, but at the end of the day, you got to keep moving on and you learn something and you get to experience life with someone for a short period of time. So 
look, I think it's worth it. And you grow a lot from those kind of opportunities as well and those different things. Yeah. But if you don't ever put yourself out there, you ain't going to ever have to worry about getting your heart broken either. So exactly. No, <laughs> that's, that's where I've been at. I've been at that, but then I'm like, okay, that eventually I got to break out of it and just say, screw it. You know, got to let you, you got to give some energy and it sucks. Let me tell you when it, whenever you do do that. And I think what's challenging for people in today's world and society is they get hurt and then they don't like heal or recover from that pain. And then you're just like, then they go on to someone else and they don't really open up to that person fully. And then they ghost that person or someone goes so-and-so. And it's like, we're all guilty. Like a lot of us at my age, people are guilty of this stuff. Um, and I think that's where you just got to be like, okay, someone may have hurt me and it may have scared me and scarred me, but you can't go into the next relationship or talk to someone with those, you know, things in the back of your head. Yeah. You just got to be vulnerable. You got to take the risk and it sucks, but it's what it's the way it works. You know, if you're trying to break the stigma or the, the loop. So we hear we hear women talking about this all the time, talking about red flags yeah. from men. So what are your red flags from women when you first start talking to somebody? Ah, red flags for women. That one's a little bit more. That one's tough. I can go on the green flags maybe. It would, like I guess if they're just their phone is blowing up with a bunch of other dudes. Okay. If a bunch of other dudes are texting the girl you're talking to. Okay. It's like maybe one. Okay, it could be a friend, but then you got like three or four. Yeah. Um. Would need to think about it more i wasn't okay. prepared for that i wasn't okay. prepared for that one as much as i should be there's things if i definitely sat here and thought about it for like a couple of minutes i'd probably be able to come up with them i'm good with the green flags though which all right usually, so give us like a couple green flags uh top got three top three green flags from women yeah uh cares about their family okay loves their family um has some sort of relationship with god okay uh is faithful christian and wants to pursue that uh wants to have kids like wants to have family Really, those are like the biggest main ones for me. Those are pretty big. Yeah. yeah. Those are like the biggest, biggest ones. And then they just got to be comfortable with like a, it's a green flag when a girl's comfortable being around me and spending time with me, but realizes that like, let me rephrase that. So it's like basically one of the best things I love is if you're talking to a girl and especially for someone like me who has a busy life and has a lot of like friends and different things. When I go somewhere, maybe it's an event, maybe it's a bar. And that girl is able to be with me, okay. but also feel comfortable. Okay, here's some other girlfriends that I know. She can go over and talk to them and can hold her own and enjoy the time and make those people enjoy the time while I'm also, you know, yeah. popping around the room. Yeah. That's really great. When a girl is able to do that um, and you get good reviews from your girlfriends, that, hey, like this girl is like awesome. Like she's super cool and she wasn't bugging me like, hey, you're not giving me enough time because when when I'm doing the job that I am and stuff, I'm, I'm moving around a lot. Like, I'm going constantly. And for a girl to be confident, confidence is a huge thing, having confidence. And then I don't like it when a girl, you know, plays games in a sense. Like, I'm a little too old for these games now. Like, it's got to be either in or you're out. You know, if you want to, if we, we got to be transparent with each other, let each other know how we are. And then I hate when a girl, if a girl's like talking about something and something's bothering them, whether it's I'm doing it or someone else is doing it or whatever, I want a girl to tell me straight up, I, you know, I don't have time for yeah. like just jumping around things or, or whatever. I think it's a lot better when people are transparent about what they want and make that clear and the intentions are clear and yeah, but I, I know I rambled a little bit there, but yeah. No. So we got some red flags out of you there. Number, number one, like if you're in a social setting, if a girl constantly needs your attention in that situation, that's going to turn you off obviously. Yeah. Right? So needy neediness would be a red flag. Yeah. If a girl's seeking more than my attention, red flag. If she wants, if she's trying to appeal to just a ton of people, you know, like I want a girl who, and someone said this the other day, if I 
like in, in dating that their significant other said this. And I think this is a really great point. Their significant other told them, look, I could be fine. If no, if everyone else in the world hates me, but you love me, I'm good to go. Yeah, that's cool. You know, that was pretty cool to me. And I think that's a good point. That's like similar. If, if a girl loves me when the whole world, if the whole world hates me, but this girl loves me and she wants me, then look, that's a great girl. I don't want a girl who's trying to please the masses. I want a girl who's trying to please and, you know, wants just me. Yeah. You know, just doesn't doesn't need other guys' attention. Just cares about the attention I give her, you know, in a sense. And doesn't it's not neediness with my attention, but right. it's not searching for attention and validation from just a bunch of others. That's like attractive when a girl just is like is into me, you know, and wants me for me. Well, and I think that's important too. Like you touched on their like if you're dating somebody, you want somebody that has the ability to hold their own in any situation. And I think that's really important for you because you come from such a big family and because of what you do for a living, right? I could just imagine, man, like if you brought a girl home to meet your family, that's a situation where they have to be able to hold their own, dude, because they're not going to get just one-on-one -on -one with you the entire time with as many siblings as you have and your parents. And then I can't imagine like anybody else from the family <laughs> that could be there at that moment. Like, they need to be able to like have a conversation with your mom on their own or go sit down with your dad on the back porch and go chill with him or like sit there and talk to your brothers and sisters. Like that's, it sounds like you kind of need somebody that's pretty extroverted, honestly. Yeah. Extroverted. I mean, it, look, it could be a sweet introvert as well, but like I'm not, <laughs> I'm not cutting out the introverts, uh, but someone who definitely does understand one, my, how important my family is. And then also like you're saying, if I bring someone home to my family, they're going to be ha they're going to have to be able to, you know, talk to everyone in the family. Look, like if my sister doesn't like you, I'm sorry. It's going to be hard for me to like you. I mean, I'm at the end of the day, look, if I if I love a girl enough, no matter what my family says or their family says or whatever, I, I'm going to love the girl. But yes, it's a big thing, especially in my family. It's it's a really attractive thing when a girl can come in and I have this big family and they make their way around my family. They talk to everyone. They spend time with, you know, my aunts, my uncles, like I have a lot of great cousins. My cousins are awesome. I have this big family of cousins um, and they're all like pretty close in age. So when someone's willing and able to come in and just it feels like they're a part of the crew, that's yeah. like, okay, major, major green flag when they get to that point. When you're when I'm bringing you around my family, you're, you've made it pretty far yeah. down, down the, <laughs> the way. That's awesome. So who who's out there that you you have your eye on right now? You got you got one or two people that you're interested in, but maybe you just haven't pulled the trigger to shoot them a shoot them a message. I don't like to, uh, uh, you know, I'm pretty personal with my private with my uh, dating life. We will have to see. Maybe in the near future, I'll uh, come back on this podcast and we'll we'll talk. If I like it's it. going. No, I respect that, man. That's huge. <laughs> well, let's switch topics. Uh, maybe this will be the last thing we talk about because we've gone into a whole bunch of different stuff, um, but a little bit more lighthearted. How what's your thought on uh, on aliens? There's been a lot of talk in the world lately in the last year, year and a half um, about, you know, UFOs, UAPs, different alien technology that Congress is having congressional hearings about all of these different findings and stuff. Um, obviously, there's been a ton of people in the history of time that have been curious with Area 51 and there's all kinds of conspiracy theories. So where do you stand on on whether there are aliens or not? Look. My main, my thing is, I don't read, you know, <laughs> I'm not the biggest scholar. I should have read more books growing up. I uh, should have studied harder in school, but I don't know a bunch. I don't, I don't know. And I've said this before talking about this kind of stuff or about anything in general. I don't know a lot about a lot. 
you know, I, I, I figured things out from just interaction and, and, and going around and exploring an adventure. But at the end of the day, it's hard for me to say that there's not some kind of extraterrestrial life out there. When you look at the world, you look at the galaxy, and you've heard things like we are a minuscule part of this galaxy. The Earth is tiny compared to all the, the galaxy in the universe. Knowing that and how like crazy that is, that we're just like a speck out there, you're telling me there's no extraterrestrials, however you say it out there? Look, there's got to be something way, way out there somewhere. I don't know. Maybe it's another Earth. Maybe it's another universe or something. I don't know. But it's so big that it's hard for me to think that there's not extra forms of life. Now, is it humans? Is it like what we imagine in the movies, these creature-looking things? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's just animals. But I definitely think there are extraterrestrials. Gosh, I really need to get better with that word. <laughs> out there. And I think that they're they're out there somewhere. Some kind of form of life is out there besides us. Um, now, do I think it's like the little you know statue thing they bought in showed it maybe the Congress meeting or something? I, I don't know if it was the Congress meeting, but they bought out this little thing. It looked like a little baby statue. Yeah. And I was like, there's no way this is an alien. Um, all that to say, I don't know. It's very intriguing, though. I love thinking about it. I read something the other day. Some guys out in the woods in like Nevada, Nevada, whatever, however you say it. And he gets just like taken up into a UFO and they're looking at his body, talking to him. They send him back down. He has this whole thing. It's like at the end of the day, it could be BS. It could be real, but it's just fun to think about. And it's cool. You know, like I think aliens are cool. Like it's like it's a wild thing. Well, I mean, what would you do if you got home later today and you turned on the news and all of a sudden they're like major announcement, first time ever, real contact, ET exists? I think it would be a pretty damn cool thing. To know that, that, that like, okay, so I, I walk home, like you're saying, I'm trying to put myself in these shoes. So I go home, I turn on the TV, and they are, like, breaking news, alien contact is made. And they got, like, you know, president or whatever, and this alien, like, coming to talk to each other. I don't know how it would be. This is how I'm making up in my head. So you have the president coming up, you have the alien, you have all these military, whatever, and there's just this contact. I think it would be a beautiful thing, and I think it would be cool. Now, would it add to a lot of the randomness and just craziness of the world right now? Yes, and I don't know if that's a good thing. But something that I think about it for me personally, if I turned that on and saw that, I think it would open up my perspective and let me know how minuscule, you know, my my, my life is important, but, like, in the grand scheme of things and having perspective how big the world is and kind of humble myself a little bit to be like, okay, wow, this is something I never thought would ever happen the world's a lot bigger than we think. Yeah. I think that would be a pretty cool feeling to, to turn on the TV when I get back home and, and see that aliens have made contact with us. Who knows? Maybe it'll happen. Yeah. Dude, I don't know about you, but I'm the type of person that if I saw that news report, I would want to try to figure out wherever the hell they were, and I would try to get there as fast as I could because I would want to physically, like, try to make contact with with an E. Like, if there's an alien that's here on planet Earth and we're talking about them on the news, like, if they're in – Boise, Idaho, I'm jumping on a plane and I'm like, I gotta go see this thing for real. And like I've got a question for you and you can you you can throw it back to me after, but uh the similar question. If you're by yourself and an alien spaceship were to come down, so you're you take yourself, you're out in the woods. Um I don't know, I'm just painting the picture here. So you, Ryan, are out in the woods, there's an alien spaceship that comes down, you're chilling, it's nighttime. The spaceship comes down, a door opens up, they're right there in front of you, an alien comes down. What's your first thing you do? do you, what do you say? If you say something, what are you saying? If you're doing some kind of action, what are you doing? You have no weapons, anything with you. Okay. The alien is is about 
10 feet from you out of the spacecraft. Man, I've thought about this actually before um, in my life. And I think there's like that initial shock, right? Like, am I actually seeing this? Is this actually really happening? But once I got over that, the first thing I would do is I would try to get as close as I could because I'm super curious and I would want to be as close as I could. If I'm within 10 feet and there's an alien standing right in front of me, probably one of the first things I'm saying is like, how long have you been here? What if they can't speak English? Chances are they can't, right? But like, what am I going to do in that situation? I I would not even know how to speak to them if they didn't speak English. So my first thought would just be to speak English with them and hope that there's like some sort of communication. What if, what if they just, just shoot you right then and there? You're it done. is what it is. I'm going to die they at some point you. in my life, dude. <laughs> See, my, my at least thing, I died by getting shot by an alien face to face instead of just dying from like, you know, breaking my leg and getting an infection. True. My thing is what I've come up with is one. I was with uh, talking to my buddy Jack Vale the other day who has this thing called the pooter. And he was saying and we were saying that maybe the first thing you do when you make alien interaction is just use the pooter. <laughs> make the poot noise. It was a pretty funny idea. Maybe the alien starts just dying laughing. My strategy, what I've thought about recently. Okay. The alien spaceship comes down. I'm like, I'm looking at this alien. My thing is, is I think I would just give him a smile. Just yeah. a nice little smile. Smile and wave like that little Madagascar movie says. Yeah. Smile and wave. You know, a smile is a pretty genuine thing. I think it lightens people's mood. Who knows? Maybe these aliens come out and just absolutely murk me for yeah. smiling. But like, I would. the first thing I would do is smile. And then I would sit there and just kind of see what their reaction may be. Maybe it's a warming reaction. Maybe they do speak English, but I would look and listen and see what they have to say. And I think smiling is one of the best ways to disarm. Maybe, though, they see it as, like, a sign of, like, violence. Well, I was going to say, like, to them, it could be you just called their mom fat, and they, like, don't (laughs) want to stand for it. You know what I mean? It could be. And maybe they can just read my mind, and they're like, oh, this guy's a nice guy. He's smiling. Like, let's just invite him into the aircraft, have, like, a five-star dinner, maybe some Chick-fil-A, Burger King. See, and I think, in reality, I think that that's more likely, that there's some sort of telepathic ability that – aliens would have where they could just communicate directly into our minds instead of us having to verbally communicate but man what i would give to find out for real i guess we'll never know yeah it's like jodie foster said in that movie contact at the very end he's got all these little kids and these little kids are like so are there aliens did anybody ever answer and she's like listen this is how i look at it if we're the only intelligent life in all of space it seems like a pretty big waste of space yeah i mean that's a good point I don't know. I'm not. I, I think it's fascinating, but I don't really get the end of the day. I'm just simple old me, you yeah. know. I'm gonna live my life, and there's a lot of things I'll never know the answers to. Maybe I should be searching for those answers instead of doing the other things that I'm doing. But uh, right now, just kind of having fun. <laughs> I'm just kind of curious whether we put this anywhere or not, or not. What was this last weekend like, man? You got to hang out with Daniel Ricardo. It was awesome. Yeah, I would love to talk about that. So a couple of months ago. Um, I was talking to somebody from Red Bull. Um, they reached out and I met up with them and they were like, Hey, we're having this event called the, the, uh, Red Bull show run. Um, and essentially Red Bull show run. Yeah. So essentially what it is, is they were having this event in Nashville. They blocked off all of Broadway street. So all of Broadway is blocked off pretty wild. They have these big barriers up on both sides. And so Friday night they had Daniel Ricardo. So if you've seen the, Netflix Formula One show. Daniel Ricardo is the man in it, like great guy. 
um, and funny. He's like the character, you know. And so Red Bull just signed Daniel Ricardo, and a lot of people know him. So they bought Daniel Ricardo, and so Friday night last weekend, uh, we have this plan. He's gonna he's takes over Whiskey Row, and it's called Danny Rick's Honky Tonk. Okay. So it's his bar for the night. So they had a couple of things planned throughout the night, and one of the key parts of the night was Danny Rick, Daniel Ricardo was gonna get behind the bar and serve up some drinks. Well, one of my buddies and I, Alex Presley, he's a content creator himself. We had come up with this idea. We're going to make drinks. We're going to make a drink with him. And then we're also going to do, you know, we're going to maybe throw in there and ask him for a shoey. So Red Bull told us, they're like, hey, you know, he can't do shoeys unless he's on the podium. You know, maybe you guys can find a time to do a shoey with him. But they were kind of like, ah, it's probably, it might not work out on Friday. But my buddy Alex was pushing for it. And I was like, look, you want to ask him, we can just do it, you know, if, if it's in the moment. So what happens is we go up, we meet him up in this private room. We walk down, we're escorted. We're wearing these these racing suits, the pit crew suits. We walk with them. This gets massive bars packed. Walk under the little bar door, and we're with Daniel Ricardo. He's I'm on the far side. Uh, Danny's right here, and then here's me. Um, and we decide to first thing we did was made a drink with them, and we couldn't use alcohol, so it was literally like water or Sprite or oh, okay. Red Bull, and then we passed it to someone for a video. Um, and then the other thing was the shoey. And so we we made that first video and then we're sitting there chatting with him. Unbelievable guy, extremely humble. I like to think that Formula One drivers are very similar to golfers, you know, kind of humble guys. They don't they're they're known worldwide, you know, but it's not like they have this niche, strong, like ridiculous. Like, I mean, there are some ridiculous fans in some areas, but if they have a more wider audience, they're known like worldwide more than like some of these American, you know, celebrity superstars. That's interesting though, that you would say that you would think that a lot of F1 drivers are more humble because my thing is, I think a lot of people would argue that F1 drivers are super arrogant and cocky more than they are humble. Well, I look, but that's cool to hear that he is, that he was very humble. Exactly. When I say, I don't know a lot about a lot. I don't know a lot about a lot. And Daniel Ricardo is the first person, first F1 driver I've met. So when I think of F1 drivers now, he's done a good job of being a good example and a representation of the F1 drivers because I met him super cool guy. You know, we had a great conversation. We're sitting behind the bar. We're chatting it up. We're dapping it up, talking. And so then we're like, hey, and my buddy's like, Danny, can we get a quick shoey? And he's like, yeah, I can't do it, but like, I'll pour it for you all. So what do we do? My first shoey ever. Never done one of those. I was thinking drinking out of a shoe. So a shoey, for people who don't know what it is, a shoey is when you grab your shoe, you pour some sort of liquid into your shoe, whether it's alcohol, whether it's a Red Bull, whether it's water, whatever it is, pour it into the shoe, and then you chug it out of the shoe. It looks pretty ridiculous. It's kind of gross. If you're ever going to do it, make sure you wash your shoes or that they're clean beforehand. My shoes were clean. I did it out of my Jordan 1s. Um, but it's it's I think it's an Australian thing. And Daniel yeah. Ricardo is known for it. He does it on the podium after he wins races. So we got him to do the shoey. And then we just hung out there in the bar for a second, and we were talking to him. He was about to go sing Wagon Wheel, and he was telling me about how nervous he was to go sing Wagon Wheel. And then he just goes up there and crushes it, sings Wagon Wheel at this bar. Unbelievable night. You know, we're back there in the corner. We're watching the whole thing. It's It was hysterical, ton of fun. The next day, they had the show run. So they had the event. They blocked off all of Broadway. They had a first guy go down. I believe the first person was in, was it in it or just a, I forget what kind of car they were driving. And then the second guy, Aaron, who I'd met that weekend, the man was doing a motorcycle. He's doing all these crazy things. But there's all these fans and people lined up to see this. And they're doing donuts on Broadway. And then you have Ricardo come out in the F1 car. He's going extremely fast, doing all these donuts, getting it up around. And 
it was awesome. Red Bull absolutely crushed the event. We actually did another shoey with them. We went down on like the track for the show run and we're up against like the wall and uh, we were yelling at him and we were wearing cowboy hats, me and my buddy all weekend. So he recognized us and we're like, shoey, shoey. And so we do another shoey with him that day uh, and talk to him for a little bit. And then that later that night, there was a little event, but uh, he was not there. But uh, all in all, it was an incredible weekend, ton of fun. Daniel Ricardo is the man. I'm a huge fan now. Uh, if I wasn't already, um, and you know, it was it was a good time. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. I, I'm kind of curious. Tell us as much as you can about how these deals come together. Like you mentioned it briefly, that you were talking to somebody from Rebel, but like for the average person that's going to listen to this that never has an experience like that happen to them in their life, how do you just like randomly be talking to somebody from Red Bull and they're like, yeah, come down to Nashville and hang out <laughs> with our F1 driver and like go make shots for people at a bar. I think it's a lot about where it all started for me in a certain sense. Now, look, there's one side of things that's kind of just, you know, I would say is on the more basic side brand deals, which are brand deals with, look, you have a certain following, people have your contact, they reach out, you know, they're like, hey, Mac, we want to do a certain number of posts. It's more straight up transactional. That's a thing that most content creators deal with. What I think is a little bit different than what I've been, you know, it's all God's work, but is where I've, you know, what kind of happened is over time, I would do something with a brand. So I'd have, I'd meet someone. So say I met Johnny, who was, you know, the person for the NHL. It would come up, uh, somehow it just happened. So I met Johnny and I would talk to Johnny and Johnny's like, hey, we're doing this. And like, we'd love for you to be a part of it. I'm like, hey, I would love to do anything with y'all. So I put it out there first and I do something with them. I'm, I don't care. Look, I'm financially stable and I don't need, to have to make money from these deals. It's all an investment to me. So when that first one came along, I just took an, an opportunity of really going out there, doing my best, doing a good job, and and you know being a kind person and making their job as easy as possible for them. And so that happened, and then it was like one person, then then that person had heard from another company that they wanted to get a deal. You know, they're looking for X people for this event, you know, whether it was for ESPN or whatever it may be. And so that guy recommends me to them and then becomes this just chain of people that, you know, a lot of times what I feel like in life is the one of the biggest things is everybody wants to meet everybody. You just and people are just scared to talk or communicate at times or don't know who to talk to. Yeah. But the more you communicate with people and the more you learn about people and figure out about people, the more you can figure out that everyone can help each other in some kind of way. And so that's essentially what happened is like I just was doing things and then by doing these things and being kind to people and people extending opportunities to me. Um, and me taking those opportunities, you start to become more well and more well known in the space, and then groups want to do stuff with you, and then that's how it happens. So like Red Bull, one of the guys from Red Bull used to do stuff with the Titans. I had a good relationship with the Titans. I was helping them out with some TikTok stuff. They didn't pay me or anything, but I was doing it as a brand equity thing, and also to have a good relationship with the Titans. Yeah. So I was doing that, and one of the guys who used to work with them is now at Red Bull, and told the Red Bull person that he works with who does stuff with content creators, influencers, or talent, hey, this person would be, Mac would be great. So then I met with them, and then bang, you know, a deal happens. So when people say it's all about the hands you shake, I don't think it's all about that. Like, look, I think you have to put in work, a lot of work to be able to shake those hands, and it matter when you shake the hand. But I think that, like, a lot of it is the hands you shake and the way you, I would say, the way you shake the hand or the way you develop that relationship, yeah. you know? Everyone can shake hands. Everyone can meet new people, but it's about like how are you going to treat those people when you meet them, 
And how are you going to invest in them? Because I think I like to try to invest in every relationship that comes my way, no matter if there's immediate value to me or not. The value in it to me is building a, a relationship, having a good friend, you know, yeah. being there for somebody, helping them, because it's all going to come back around. The more you help people, you know, most likely the world's just going to give back to you at some point. And that's not why I do it, but I know that like that a lot of times that's how it happens. You give to people and then things happen. Again, it's not why you do it, but it's a it usually pays off. And at the end of the day, if you don't get anything from it, it pays off that you've just done something good for somebody else, and that should make you feel good. So yeah. Yeah, I think that's the part that most people just don't understand is they see people that are successful in social media space in particular, right? And they're like, I just don't understand, man. Like, how is this person getting to do that? Like, I could do those things too. And the piece that most people just never pay attention to is once you're given the opportunity, what you do with that opportunity is what is going to determine whether or not you get more. And yep. I think that's really important that you mention that when in, in your entire story is that you made relationships, you met people, but if you had gone into those scenarios and just acted like a complete jerk and just been like, I'm holier than now. And like, I'm, you know, my shit doesn't stink and I'm totally cool. And you guys are coming to me and I don't need to go to you. Those people are never going to call you again. Exactly. And I think that's where like people don't understand how genuinely just, you got to be yourself, but you also have to be a respectful person. You have to be able to to continue to grow relationships. It's one thing to meet somebody, but then to actually be able to like reach out to them and talk to them and lean on them. That's totally different. Yeah. hundred percent. And you never know who you're going to meet. Like you never know who someone is. That's why I look, I'm, I'm not the best at it. I can be better at it. And sometimes that I mess up or make mistakes or don't treat someone, you know, the best way, but I try in life to any interaction that I have with someone no matter if it's someone on the street, no matter if it's someone at the you know football field, wh whatever it may be, I try to make every interaction, I try to really spend time and like, okay, if this person's giving me energy, I'm gonna give it back. I don't know, I don't know who they, I might not know who they are, I might not know anything about them, but they're a person, they're an individual, they're human. So I'm gonna give them the respect that they deserve. You know, every, like I think everybody deserves respect. I think everybody deserves to, you know, be heard. And so it's like I go through life like that, and it's, it's crazy the amount of times that's paid off. You know, again, you don't do it for that reason, but, like, I'm just saying for people who want to argue about that, like, look, just be nice to people. It doesn't hurt you. It just can only help you to be nice to others, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And that's how I feel about – that's how I feel about the relationship that you and I have started to create. Like, I randomly reached out to you one day on Instagram, like, Hey man, would you like to be a guest on my podcast sometime? And you responded and we've had an opportunity now to hang out a couple different times. And I am just grateful that you reached. I'm grateful that you reached back out. I'm grateful that I've had the opportunity to spend the few hours that I've been able to around you. Um, hopefully, you know, we can continue to continue, like grow that relationship and just do other things. Doesn't always have to be this kind of stuff. But I think if I was going to give anybody any suggestions, I'm nobody, but I've been doing the podcast now for a couple of years. I'm 60 plus episodes out. I feel very fortunate that I've had an opportunity to talk to people like yourself and some other people that I've had on as guests. If you want to do something and there are people that you want to reach out to, don't be afraid to reach out to them. I literally sent you a message saying, hey, man, would you like to be a guest on my show? And never expected anything from you whatsoever. But the fact that you responded, like, if I never asked that question, you we're not know. sitting here. Yeah, 100%. And I appreciate your kind words. It means a lot. I mean, I'll tell you that, like, it's not like you're some random guy. Like, I mean, for me, it was like when I met you, you're just a good dude. 
you can genuinely tell when someone cares about other people and cares for different things and like that's what stood out to me about you that's why like i like you know i've wanted to help you out i've wanted to help develop it because one i i think it's awesome when people jump you know essentially jump ship and go for their dreams you know and put a lot of risk and that's what you've done you've you've put a lot you've taken a risk you've jumped you know you've jumped for that like you've had that leap of faith you've went out you got equipment you've done different things and for me it's a scary thing i can't say that i've fully done that yet so to see someone who has it's like okay one day that will be me and i like i want to be a part of it you know i want to help you along your journey so i appreciate your words and i mean look i'm fortunate to be here and glad you reached out and that, that's i would uh, echo that that statement that you know if you're trying to work with someone or you're trying to do something or get someone on a podcast like always ask you never you never know um but yeah this has been fun and i've, I've I love it. We'll continue to do some more stuff. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. Thank you for your kind words. I appreciate you stopping in today, and uh, I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. I hope you enjoy the rest of your week, and can't wait to see what you got coming up next. Let's go. Hopefully the weather, uh, this cold spell goes away. I don't like the cold. It's going to eventually just get colder, so we got to get ready. uh, Appreciate you. Thanks, Mac. Take it easy, bud. That was good.